1: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 29. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we've got a lot of good feedback recently from a lot of nice listeners with suggestions and offers to donate their services to the Drabblecast neighborhood, and I want to thank all of you for that. One thing that I wanted to throw out there that we could really use would be some tech know-how, particularly in the world of the Macintosh. If you're fairly versatile with web publishing, design, RSS feeds, and or Macintosh software, and you'd like to help out, shoot us an email at drabblecast at yahoo.com saying, I'm your nerd, Norm. That would rock. Of course, the best way anyone can help at this point, especially since we don't even have a PayPal donation option up is to spread the word. You see, brothers and sisters, there are niches of the net out there that have not yet heard the words of the Drabbocaster. Think of all the poor unfortunate people out there downloading Science Weekly and Harry Potter casts, bumbling through life day to day, missing out on stories about tapeworms and mutant carnies. But don't it just break your heart? I charge you, loyal brethren, with the task of spreading the word of the Drabblecast uh-huh. far and wide. There it is. Send your friends the link, send them a email link. your favorite podcast, email and ask them to play our promo. That's right. Tell your mama to subscribe on iTunes. Ow, mama. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, if that's not effective marketing, I don't know what is. Well, it's that time again. It's the Drabble Poetry Corner, baby. This week's poem is by William D. Tucker. We read William's last poem, Mr. 505 of the Spheres, on episode 26 of the Drabblecast, Once Upon a Hill in This City, and we got a lot of positive response from it. This is the second poem in a series of three by Mr. Tucker, set in the same strange universe, You'll recognize some allusions to Mr. 505 in this one, and from what I understand, the final poem, which we'll play down the road when we get it, ties all three of them together. So here it goes. The Late 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 Show by William D. Tucker. The man in the helmet sat in a chair in his concrete lair, staring me down with his ovals. He made incomprehensible mouthings in the dead language, the one spoken by the people beyond the mask. He crossed his legs and took a puff on a cigarette and mouthed ever more rapidly in the puppeteer's phraseology. And he laughed at his own jokes and puffed ever more rapidly and bid the folks at home say hello to his first guest. And the guest, somewhat unexpected, sat down, A six-armed, winged abomination with eyes more than hairs on an ape's arm and a face with split-fanged rictus, pulsating antenna. The whole of him a sickly flesh peach in color. The guest, unexpected, mouthed in reply to the man in the helmet. In the dead language, his witty replies to the witty questions. And so on and so on for the show's hour slot. Until the final moments when the man in the helmet shared his final thought. The credits rolled, and as they rolled, the man in the helmet picked up a shadeless lamp, plunged the bulb into his right oval socket, and the helmet split open. The man in the helmet was no more, his true face exposed to the air, just a white-haired old man whose show was canceled. Today's story is one of our favorite stories to date. Around January, we're planning on doing the first annual People's Choice Drabblecast Awards, where listeners will nominate and vote for their favorite stories in different categories, and will offer a real cash prize and trophies. I just wanted to go ahead and say that I'll probably consider nominating this one. It's called Code Brown by Dermot Glennon. Dermot is co-author of a book of short stories similar to today's called Occam's Blunt Instrument, published by Mucus Art Publishing in the UK. You can order the book in paperback at www.mucusart.co.uk. I just did. So, without further ado, Code Brown by Dermot Glennon. The Greys had been visiting for many years. But the first time the U.S. government acknowledged the problem was in 1947. This was the year of the crash in Roswell, and the corpse that they recovered could not be ignored. The U.S. government set up think tanks to consider every question. Where they came from, how to monitor the frequency of their visits, what their intentions really were. It was a time of fear and suspicion of all things alien but far more frightening than the aliens was something discovered closer to home. On the 17th of April, 1954, a routine Roswell Scientific Committee met to report and discuss recent findings. However, after the meeting had ended, two of the scientists were asked to remain in the conference center and a top-secret meeting was held after the other delegates had left. Under cover of darkness, The president and the head of the CIA were airlifted in by helicopters and escorted to the hospitality suite. The agency chief showed a set of recently taken photographs. They found it three days ago, he told them grimly. Adrenaline spread down the table like telepathy. This could be our salvation, gasped Dr. Einkopf. The CIA chief acknowledged with a nod. As soon as we figure out the technology to use it." Professor Klugscheisser sounded a note of caution. "'Salvation, yes,' he said. "'But we are many years from developing such advances, and if they find it first, it will be our damnation. Do they know we have it?' The chief coughed involuntarily the question. "'They were looking for it. We found it during the investigation of a sighting.' Gamma readings show that they were monitoring from high orbit. In short, gentlemen, they know we have it. The delegates flicked through their dossiers. These were the kind of men who never spoke a word that hadn't been cross-referenced against the latest research. We cannot destroy it. It is too valuable, said Klugscheiser. And yet, it would be dangerous to keep it. We must hide it in the last place that anyone would ever think of looking for it. Deep underground, perhaps. We thought of that, replied the chief. And if we thought of it, you can bet your ass they thought of it too. Oh, perhaps in a locked safe. Uh, maybe in Fort Knox, suggested Einkopf. The room fell silent as everyone stared at him in bewilderment. <sighs> Einkopf. Brilliant! Nobody at the Bureau's thought of that. The delegates congratulated Einkopf, and the conference ended there and then with a the flourish of copious backslapping and congratulation. Meanwhile, a very different meeting convened on Guy Gravius III. The group captain entered and bowed in low deference to the seated panel. He stood and waited to be spoken to, but Zervonia merely studied him coldly. From the look on the group captain's expressionless face, he could tell that the news was not altogether good. Without saying an audible word, he asked, ''Did you locate it?''
0: ''Well, uh, yeah,''
1: replied the captain. The panel members slowly turned their heads to exchange glances before turning their attention back to the captain.
0: And...
1: telepathed Zervonia.
0: Um, the humans have it now.
1: After the captain had been dismissed, Zervonia silently addressed the panel.
0: Gentle grace.
1: He began.
0: They may be primitive, but they are not stupid. By now, they will know of its significance. The panel nodded their agreement. They will, no doubt, hide it away in the last place they would expect anyone to look for it. General Schreff, your thoughts, please. Yes, well, they will hide it deep underground,
1: replied the general. The panel communicated derisive laughter to him.
0: "'Pathetic!'
1: exclaimed the Emperor. Shrif shifted uncomfortably.
0: "'Um, I don't know. A locked safe in a secure vault surrounded by armed guards, maybe?'
1: The panel considered. After some deliberation, they all laughed again. <laughs>
0: "'That is the last place that you would consider looking?'
1: Shrif raised a hand to uncomfortably loosen a shirt collar that his naked body didn't even have.
0: How I don't know. The only place that I wouldn't consider looking would be up some wild-eyed hillbilly's ass on a dirt track in the middle of a deep forest at night.
1: The general's words were met by an even eerier silence than the kind of silence that routinely accompanied telepathic discussions. He felt their dull, dead eyes burning into him. After an extremely long pause, Zervonia banged his fist angrily on the table. Those devious bastards!
0: This is precisely
1: where they will be hiding it. The air was charged with a ferocious sense of antipathy towards humankind. Surprised and encouraged by his reception, Shriff expounded further.
0: If, if we took a look and it turned out that it wasn't up there, then ten to one they've only gone and stuffed it up someone else's bottom. I mean, who'd think of looking in the rectum of an average housewife living on the outskirts of Virginia, or, or a dock worker in New England?
1: Zervonia surveyed the panel coldly. I
0: sure as hell hope one of you is writing this down.
1: Jimmy sat in an open plan monitoring facility in 1997. His job was to watch daytime talk shows to find out what the aliens were up to and to report back any signs of activity around Fort Knox. I don't know why we bother, said his colleague. I mean, 50 years and they've never even gotten close. Jimmy watched the screen avidly for a while. He turned to his colleagues, grinning broadly. Woo doggy, Gentlemen, we got another Code Brown. Well, that was our story. I hope you liked it. If you're a hardcore Drabblecast fan and you've listened to all the backlogged stories in the archive, you're probably thinking to yourself, geez, this podcast has done four total stories about something being up someone else's behind. Maybe they should put that information in the submission guidelines. All I've got to say is that, hey, I just narrate these stories. We've got two other editors who read our submissions and pick which ones to accept. Kendall and Luke are friends of mine, and I can give you writers out there an inside tip. It's no coincidence. For whatever reason, those two really do like butt stories. Well, that's all for this week. Tune in next week for episode 30. Post your comments on the website and send your stories and feedback to drabblecast at yahoo.com. If you want to hear Drabblecast stories set in song form to bluegrass music, check out my website at www.normsherman.com. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share this podcast with whoever you want. Just don't change it or sell it. The Drabblecast staff is made up of co editors Kendall Marshman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you that your ass might be the last place that an alien might think to look, but it's the first place that Kendall and Luke will. And we'll see if he keeps his mouth shut. we then handed over Ruta Bega long discolored and dry with another sip of his gin down with tonic a smile practice face on the side a smile practice face on the side